Welcome to the Foxy Podcast, a bi-monthly show brought to you by Freeform Freakout. The show is produced at KMSU Studios in Mankato, Minnesota. And here on the Foxy Podcast, we try to dig deeper into underground and experimental sounds of the past and present. And welcome to episode number 179 of the Foxy Podcast Show. Hope you're all doing well out there, wherever you're listening from. On this installment, I'm fortunate to have an actual in-studio guest back on the show, which it has been quite some time since I've been able to do that. With the proper safety and social distancing measures in place, happy to be joined by the Minneapolis guitarist, Matt Sowell. Matt is a Philadelphia transplant that's been living here in Minnesota for the past seven years. His acoustic playing style that incorporates both finger picking and slide work is steeped in the folk blues or the American primitive tradition. He released his first proper LP this past year called Organize or Die on Feeding Tube Records, which highlights both his guitar playing and compositional chops. In this first hour of the show, Matt will be doing a short live performance for us, and afterwards I'll spend a little time chatting with him about his background, about his new album, and about the benefit compilation called Out of the Ashes that he had a major role in putting together last year. In the second half of the show, I'll focus in on some new releases that I've been enjoying of late. Before we get into Matt's live performance, I thought I'd start the show by playing one of my favorite tracks off of his new album. This is called Spud in the Mud. Thank you. 
And at this time, we'll hand things over to Matt Sowell, live here in the KMSU studios.
Well, we are joined in the studio here by Matt Sowell. Uh, thanks for coming down on this beautiful uh, weekend. It's nice to have you here in the studio. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's nice to have studio guests once again, Matt. This has been a long time since I've had anybody across from me that <laughs> in the studio before. So thanks for willing to just give this a shot. For those listening, it's between between the glass. We're still uh, socially distancing for sure. Yeah, we're, we're essentially in our own like bubble right now. So, But uh, thanks again for coming down. Um, uh, I reached out to you because I was so drawn to your, your new record called Organize or Die that came out kind of late summer uh, last year. And I thought, my goodness, it would be great to uh, have you perform some of those songs down here and talk a little bit about that record. But I thought maybe before we get to that, just a little bit of background because you're, you're a Philly transplant that arrived here in Minnesota just a, like four or five years ago. Is that correct? Uh, about seven. Oh, has it really been that long? Okay. Yeah. What brought you to Minnesota? Um, well, my wife's originally from here. Okay. And um, before I met her in 2005, I was doing some some uh, traveling and guitar playing, and I had visited through and was really kind of touched by the arts community and in the cities, and was like, man, this would be a really great place to, to live. And then a year later, I, I met my wife, Emily, and she was like, oh, I'm from Minneapolis. And I was like, oh, I love that city. Mm -hmm. So it was like, I don't know, it was a good, it, we, we were talking geographically and whatnot. And um, we were having some issues with our public school system. We have uh, two kids. Yep. And um, pretty much that's what brought us out to back to Minneapolis. And, oh, you know, okay. just to have the family support to uh, raise children and whatnot, right. too. Yeah, having that connection. Well, as a public educator, thank you for choosing Minnesota. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> Well, I wanted to talk about, I guess, your, your background in playing guitar. And I, and I think of kind of most people who are drawn to the guitar as a young kid or a teenager, they want to pick up an electric guitar and play those riffs. You know, it's like Smoke on the Water, right? Or a, or a Nirvana song. So I was wondering, you know, what, was, what has been your trajectory with the guitar? I mean, were you interested playing electric first? And then how did you kind of branch off and get more into this acoustic uh, you know, American primitive style. I know that's often overused, but let's, let's just use it. How mm -hmm. did you, you know, end up along that path? Well, that, that was full disclosure. Smoke on the Water was my first song. <laughs> I, I um, understand. <laughs> and I, 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 so I had three older brothers, and so one of my brothers always had a guitar kind of kicking around the house. And so I kind of learned how to play, like, you know, like the the easy like bar chords where you slide up and down the guitar and it, you know, like Smoke on the Water was just like a natural uh, intro to it because it sounds really cool. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, I, I wasn't really like I, I kind of knew like basic, like fundamental stuff of the guitar. But like I, I, I was kind of feeling like I wanted to get an acoustic guitar just so I could play it just because it was like more natural. Mm -hmm. and organic and then um what I the day that I bought this like cheap jasmine guitar the next very next day I was out skateboarding and I broke my leg in half ooh, ooh. and I couldn't uh, I, I after that I, I wasn't working I wasn't doing anything I was kind of laid up 
and it took about it took about a full year to really fully heal from it. It was a tib fib break, mm. and um, I played acoustic guitar for like 10, 12 hours a day yeah. at that point. Because you really couldn't move. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't going anywhere. Well, that's a good good time for. Uh... For lack of a better word, woodshedding, right? You were woodshedding while your leg was healing. I was. I was. <laughs> so that that experience then turned you on to, I guess, you had time and an opportunity to play acoustic guitar. From that point when you, when you picked that up, were you then kind of looking at different artists uh, and guitar players that, you know, you drew inspiration from once you made that shift? I, I, I find it really interesting. I think um, what, what I ended up seeing early on, uh, there was the Nirvana Unplugged session, oh, yeah. and um, Kurt Cobain played played the Lead Belly tune, um, Where Have You Sleep Last Night? Um, and that kind of planted an early seed into into my guitar playing. But I think the the musician, the single, single musician that really, really kind of I, I just was drawn to was Mississippi John Hurt. Mm. Um, I was starting to hear some more eclectic music from from different people and um the 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 guy that i apprenticed under under as a carpenter was playing all these records for me like Mm -hmm. buca white and mississippi john hurt and that was kind of my early exposure to to playing guitar it it was a it was an interesting journey because i i I work as a union carpenter Mm -hmm. by day and um the, the guy that I was apprenticing under was not only a carpenter, but he was a fingerstyle guitar player. It's kind of like, I don't know, a match made in heaven for right, for right. me as far as mentorship. Right. That's totally set. So that clearly sent you on this new path, I guess, huh? Yeah. Having that type of mentor in your life. For sure. Were you getting into guitar playing and like learning carpentry at the same time then, kind of hand in hand? Um. Yeah, yeah, I was. It was um it so I don't know, all all my worlds kind of kind of mesh mm-hmm. and kind of cross cross over at some point. Um like I was also really, really involved in skateboarding at the time and um one of the things that got me into carpentry was we needed to make skateboard ramps <laughs> right. and I knew how to use saws without hurting myself, so I'd cut all the curves and transitions yeah. and everything, and that was kind of a blueprint. It naturally led into the carpentry. Right. Um, the skateboarding world also had a lot of arts and music in it, right. and just kind of there was there was a lot of creatives at the time in in, in uh, Philadelphia. Um, the Ten Twenty Six Collective that was on Arch Street, um, and they would have artists come in. They would have musicians play at these art shows, and it was just like a melting pot of creatives mm-hmm. and I don't know the, the the creative aspect of a, a lot of what I was doing was th- that really drew me in yeah yeah that's that's incredible um thinking of Philadelphia of course I'm sure you've been asked this before but I'm off I'm often reminded of like Jack Rose I know he's not originally from Philadelphia mm-hmm. but he has deep roots there and I'm thinking he was probably you know playing actively when you were kind of coming up uh, as well. Did you guys cross paths much and play, to, uh, play you know, see each other play or anything like that? Um, so Jack Rose lived about 
three or four blocks away from where mm -hmm. I lived in um, in Fishtown. Mm -hmm. And um, my wife, Emily, used to knit with his wife. Um, I did play one show with Jack Rose at the Rocket Cat coffee shop. Um, that was like kind of, I don't know, I, I, I hadn't quite really known about him. I mm -hmm. kind of knew Jack as the guy that was hanging out at the Philadelphia Record Exchange, mm -hmm. um, kind of the, the guy that was hanging out at the Rocket Cat coffee shop. And I didn't really, I, I knew he was into music, but I didn't know fully what he was doing. So it was interesting because I got to meet Jack as Jack right. before I got to meet him as Jack Rose, a guitarist. Right, right. And then um, when I finally did get to see Jack play, I mean, it just like kind of, it was it it, it was mind blowing. I've yeah. you know I've I, I I've seen a lot of guitar players play, and there are not that many people that possess what Jack Jack had as a player. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And uh, I don't know. It was really it, Jack was just a, a, an amazing amazing player, and he would also. You know, let people know at, at the neighborhood shows because we weren't always playing at venues. Like we were, like if there were shows set up, there would be house shows for traveling musicians because mm -hmm. it's not it's not easy to set up like a, a a big venue show all the time with short notice. So Jack would help set these shows up, and he was very very adamant that people pay. For guitars to come through, there was a right. big work ethic. Yeah, there. Yep. Like, hey man, you, we we came out to your show, and 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 we paid you for that. And this guy's from California. You need we we need to support them. Right, and I think that's an important thing, right? Especially now coming out of this pandemic, with if we want to see the arts thrive and survive, we got to step up and support it. And I think we're going to start seeing shows. <laughs> because of how maybe venues are going to be harder to run backyard shows diy spaces and and people need to recognize that you have to pay right if we want to see this stuff continue on yeah i mean it, you know he was he was one of the first people that like really kind of inst like kind of made it clear like hey if we're going to if 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 we're going to put music out like you, you need to be getting paid for it like you know, I don't know. I know some venues pass the hat around and everything, and that's kind of like they're very stripped down and whatnot. And, and an individual artist can make that decision to play at a at a venue like that. But I I think ultimately, as um as musicians, we're 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 gonna have to collectively come together mm -hmm. and say, hey, like this is this is the going rate, and you guys. Like as, as as a venue, you need to step up and pay yep. pay the musicians for it because passing the hat around that's kind of great for someone if they're in high school, but there are a lot of guys that I know that are doing this like every day, right? And you know we we seriously need to support the arts in that way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess that ties into a little bit of the union uh, themes of organize or die your record. But I thought maybe what we should talk about and we'll play something from it is. Um, the Thousand Incarnations of the Rose, that festival, correct? Am I saying that right? Yep. I think I have that right. Yep. 
But that was kind of an important gathering space for a number of people who were playing kind of acoustic guitar um, and in that world. And that was sort of where you made some connections that I think in some ways led to this release on Feeding Tube Records. Is that is that accurate? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Tell us about just like uh, that event, kind of uh, a quick overview and what that was that experience was like. And then I think what we'll do is we'll play the title track from your new record. Okay. Um, so the Thousand Carnations of the Rose was um, set um, mostly in Tacoma Park, Maryland. And also in uh, like D.C., there's like a street where the D.C. and Tacoma Park kind of overlap. Um, I, I believe Rhizome, the, the Rhizome oh, that yeah. I, the venue that I played at was in D.C. I might be wrong, but um, so there was like a line that kind of was D.C. and, and Tacoma Park. Um, Tacoma Park, Maryland is the uh, is the place where John Fahey right. The guitars grew up and whatnot, and um, uh, Glenn Jones and uh, Jesse Shepard were putting together the idea of like, hey, we need to throw a tribute together for for uh, John Fahey because this is his, this is where he grew up. The label Tacoma Records was named after Tacoma mm-hmm. Park, and you know what better way to celebrate his legacy by putting together um, some of his some of some of the people that were on his label and then have some of the contemporary some of the younger guys come in and play as well mm-hmm. and um that was a it, it was great there were a lot of venues and unfortunately there were a couple of performances that kind of overlapped right, right. but overall i mean for for something that that was like that of, of that caliber with that many musicians, they, they were able to pull it off. Right. So, I mean, yeah, I remember seeing that pop up and I'm thinking, I would love to be at that event right now. What a great uh, collection of artists. But let's play something from uh, your new record, Organize or Die. Let's play the title track from that. And then we'll come back and talk about um, a little bit more about the record and also the, the compilation that you put out last year. So here is Organize or Die from Matt Sowell.
Okay, again, we just heard Organizer Die, the title track from Matt Sowell's record, and he's here again in the studio with us. And Matt, this collection of recordings here, this new stuff, I mean, did that span quite a few years, or did you knock this out in kind of a burst of uh, a burst of energy or a short period of time? Um, Organizer Die, I had a, a few pieces that were not complete that I kind of traveled from Philly to, to Minneapolis with. And then um, I, I got really focused on trying to work on a record when I moved here. And then um, when I met Byron Coley over at Feeding Tube, he kind of gave me the motivation that I needed to kind of kick it into high gear. And I started uh, meeting with Dakota Dave Hall, um, seasoned um, uh, senior guitar player, up in Minneapolis, and he had the studio to to bang out the acoustic recordings. Yeah, and not only that, I mean, talk about your connections to some of the kind of long legacy of Minneapolis acoustic players. You got Peter Lang, who wrote the kind of promo blurb or the back jacket stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, you you had mentioned before we started recording that you've you kind of have close ties to Peter, someone who's a pretty famed guitarist of the Twin Cities. Yeah, so I I met Peter. About 10 years ago, uh, Emily and I were in the Twin Cities visiting and um, just for Christmas time. And, and I had reached out to Peter and said, hey, would you like to hang out sometime? And I'd love to ask you some questions. And he was super willing and open to doing that. And I don't know, I, I find with a lot of a lot of the older guitar players, like I've been able to reach out to them and just kind of establish a friendship with them or mm-hmm. some kind of some kind of mentorship because there's I don't know I think it's hard a, a lot of people don't find what musicians do they don't really they take it for granted that it's just kind of a click away to pull something yeah. up and listen to it but there's a lot of history there to mm-hmm. learn and I don't know a lot of like I, I like that I like learning yeah. from people who have in-depth knowledge yeah about it. I mean, speaking of history, I mean, has that some the two people that you mentioned, Peter Lang and uh, Dakota Day, but if has that something that you've been exploring is kind of the rich history, the West Bank folk scene from Minneapolis and some of those like Spider Spider John and and those people? Is that something that you've been kind of seeking out since you've been here in Minnesota? I'd, slowly and surely, I mm-hmm. you know, I you know, I'd, I don't want to name drop or anything. I just I, I've been I, I've been slowly and, and and surely kind of learning the history of it. I mean, like yeah. with any with any re- region, there's there's a history mm-hmm. with it, and there's there's a really deep, rich history of yeah of folk music and guitar in in the in Minnesota. Right. Yeah. There's this guy. His name's like Bob Dylan. I think was he from? <laughs> <laughs> I believe he was from somewhere around here. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, I wanted to ask you last year, not that I want to rehash 2020, I mean, goodness, what what a year that was, but you were involved in, or had a hand in compiling a benefit record called Out of the Ashes that was put together um, in the wake of the uh, events that happened in Minneapolis and the death of George Floyd. And I wonder if you could just describe you know, what went into that? Because, I mean, we're talking an incredibly quick turnaround uh, to get this out into the world. Mm-hmm. So tell me, like, from start to finish, was this just a matter of a week or two? Um, 
Uh, three days. Oh my god! Are you serious? Three days. Oh my god! How did you do that? Um, so, uh, Twitter is kind of a, a an interesting thing. Um, I I met Josh Rosenthal at a Daniel Bachman concert in Philadelphia um, years ago. Um, didn't really know who he was, like as the owner of Tompkins and and whatnot, and um. Then I ran across Josh again in the green room at the Thousand Carnations of the Rose. Yeah, talked a little bit, you know, uh, cordial. And then um, Josh ha- was on Twitter and had said something about just like how awful things were in, mm-hmm. in Minnesota. And then I commented and said, yeah, tell me about it. That's my home. <laughs> that you're talking about. And then um, Emily and I and the boys, our our sons, we went off to to go to um, a protest calling for for justice Mm -hmm. at Mike Freeman's um, house. Because, I mean, this was clearly... Um, clearly a, a, a gross miscarriage of justice. Mm-hmm. That's that's an understatement. Yeah, right. Um, so we were there, and while we were protesting, um, Josh Rosenthal sent me a personal message, and with it was just, call me, <laughs> and here's my number. And so I, um, I, I get home, you know, we're kind of, I don't know, it's... You know, this was this was a Saturday, and that um, he um, he called me. I get I set on my number, and then he called me, and we talked for about twenty minutes, and um, I told him, you know, like what I, the two of us conversed, and and we both kind of came to the c- mutual conclusion that. If we were if we were going to do a benefit record, because we're we're both in the music business, using that to to help out the community, that we would put together a benefit record that would that would benefit um, minority organizations in the community that have been affected mm-hmm. by by the violence and unrest. Right. Um, so that was um, a Saturday, um, and then. There was Sunday and Monday. Now the Sunday, uh, it, it, we weren't really sleeping that well right, in, right. in South Minneapolis. So like, you, you know, we would try to get our sleep when we could. Um, I was also working full time at the time as a as a superintendent running a job. Um, so like, I, I had a forty hour work week that I was trying to go and work at and my mind was like focused on yeah on that um so sunday sunday was kind of shot because we didn't sleep monday i had a really terrible headache um i had i I had started i'd begun to reach out to artists in the um in the fellow guitarists and musicians about contributing to this and um tuesday was the day that like i was able to like actually get some work in on it and get mm-hmm. get different musicians to contribute to to the benefit album 
and um, I started I started kind of calling my 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 go-to guys that mm-hmm. are on it. I'm have a really a, a, a deep friendship with Keith Lee on the record, and um, Keith was really instrumental in getting getting people connected yeah. to the to the work. Yeah. And um, by the time I was done, so that was Tuesday. Um, Tuesday, Tim Sparks also contacted me and said, "Hey, let's put together a, a, a well-worded um, document that kind of gets people to want to contribute to it." So right. that was Tuesday. Wednesday, I sent it off to the artist, and then I said, "We have to have the wave critical piece of this. Yeah. It's not an MP3, but a wave right. file. Um, a wave file is a, a much better way of transporting sound." data it kind of it, it sounds more pure right when they get it on the other end and so thursday was the cutoff date for getting the the wave files um there were some some artists that i had initially reached out to that weren't able to get a, an mp3 converted to wave which i know there are a lot of tech people listening out there that are going like oh that's easy <laughs> but um you know when i'm working a full-time job and all of the other stuff, it just, right. it just, I just didn't have the time to get them on there. Yeah. Um, but sent the files off to Josh over at Tompkins, and then Thursday night he had he had an artist putting together the artwork, and then Friday morning the album dropped. That's that's incredible. I mean, it's unbelievable. And and we're talking. We should mention. I mean, on this record there are. 16 tracks so to be able to put together a full compilation in that amount of time and it did quite well i mean a, a lot of people purchased the compilation i know i did the day that it came out on the one of those band camp fridays um so kudos to you and your efforts to get that uh together because i know uh the funds went to some good causes mm-hmm. for sure well let's uh let's wrap things up here i'm going to play a track uh one that i just think is incredible so much so that Last night, I went down a complete wormhole of this artist stuff on YouTube. Uh, Indian raga music from, and I, I hope I say this correctly, I think it's Nirmala. Um, Nirmala. Ra- Nirmala. See, yeah. I already, and I'll let you just pronounce her name. Oh, <laughs> I, I'm going to butcher her last I know, name, and I, I don't know, have it written I, in front of yeah, me. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's Rajeshkar, I think is how it's yes. pronounced. Yeah, but incredible. I just wa- love watching her play. It's like there's a little bit of swagger to her style. Like she's just so in command of her instrument. So, Oh yeah. So we're going to play a track from her and Matt, thank you so much for coming to Mankato and performing and hanging out with me in the studio. Thanks for having me.
Thanks again to Matt for coming down and performing in the studio and hanging out to chat for a bit. I'm going to start this second part of the show off with a track from Monoculture's new album called Ormond's Vaj. I was really quite fond of this Swedish duo's first album in 2019. I think this one's even better. There are some stronger melodic elements and straight-up earworms on this release, like this one called Foreseant, which translates to Too Late. Here again is Monoculture.
behind me, you're hearing the latest solo work from the Oakland-based artist Sean Conrad, working under the name Ashan. Conrad also records under the moniker Channelers and in the duo Sky Minds. I think it's safe to describe his recordings as Ashan as falling even more into the meditative or even new age vein. Thought it was fitting to play something from this new tape called Sacred Spring, as we've certainly started to have a taste of spring-like weather here in Minnesota. I played the track White Digitalis from that one. Before this Ashan piece, you heard Double Image off of Colin Fisher's new album called Reflections of the Invisible World. Fisher is a composer and multi-instrumentalist who has been active for a couple of decades now and has been involved in countless recording projects and collaborations both in performance and on record. This is his fifth solo record and it has a nice cohesive sort of spacious free-floating feel to it while also adding a variety of instruments and textures. Really been enjoying this new album. I played a track from Byron Westbrook's new album Distortion Hues in front of that. This album has a slightly more scuzzy, even raw electronic feel to it than any of his previous work that I've heard before. The promo blurb mentions that there's a certain nod to rock minimalism on this release, and there certainly is a droney yet propulsive forward motion to several of the tracks on this album. You heard Tunnel Visioning. I played the track How to Build an Automaton off of Lucy Liu's latest release, Practice, out on full spectrum. Not always that fond of the text-to-speech approach, but I actually like how she used it on this release along with the accompanying music. It's a really nice pacing and narrative arc to how all of this unfolds in this release. Before that, you heard from a really fascinating release called Thing Music by the Los Angeles-based composer and sound artist Aaron Demastes. She has gathered a collection of sounds using everyday household items and hacked electronics that she then grouped according to the colors of those items and used those groupings of sounds to form the compositions on this release. It may sound like a rather oddball uh, sound study approach, but it's a rather fun and engaging listen all the way through. There's a set of photos on her website if you're curious to see what it was that she was using on several of the tracks. I spied a plastic Halloween pumpkin for this piece called Orange. Before that, I was really excited by the arrival of this debut release from Night Sky Body, which is the new recording project of Frank Bao, who previously produced loads of incredible music under the name Sparkling Wide Pressure, a longtime favorite of the show. There are definitely some of the hazy, psychedelic aspects of his previous work on this, but I'd say this brings in more of an industrial and tape collage feel, a little more eerie in a good way. I played Welcome Party from the new one, Recurring. And then again, at the very top, I played something from that brand new monoculture release called Orman's Vage out on Ever Never Records. And I'm going to wrap up this show with a few more tracks, starting with a pair of songwriters that I really admire. The first is the title track from Russell Hoke's new album, The Melancholy Traveler which just came out on our very own Round Bell Recordings label. Follow that up with a track off of the recent reissue of Michael Hurley's Blue Navigator album. And I'll wrap things up with some heavy doom from the Indonesian duo Senyawa's latest release. And that'll bring the show to an end. If you'd like to check out the complete playlist for this show, 
you can go to our website at freeformfreakout.com. There are links that will bring you to each of the releases played and where you can purchase a copy directly from the artist or label if you'd like. If you have any questions or comments, you can always get in touch with me at fffreakout at hotmail.com. I'll be back again in a couple of weeks with another feature episode. Until then, thanks so much for listening.
on that riddle, the melancholy traveler. Keep it on the road. He don't know no motorco, and that's how he can't keep it on the road. Why is this blue navigator blue? Why is the blue navigator blue? I must have a blue. As I must be crazy, you Did anyone ever wake you up While you were sleepwalking And did you ever fall on a rubber ball While you sleepwalking in the hall Ever heard of you? Who ever heard of you? No one ever heard of you but your mom and your papa too. 